Hi there and welcome to Inside Rugby League, podcast brought to you by the Yorkshire Evening Post. I'm Richard Byram and joining me on the line this week as usual is my colleague Peter Smith. Peter, as you know, is the Yorkshire Evening Post Chief Rugby League Writer and he also contributes reports and stories to our sister paper, the Yorkshire Post. It was a good weekend for Yorkshire Rugby League last weekend uh, with Castleford Tigers and Hull both reaching the Challenge Cup semi-finals, Peter. Yes, yeah, in um, in exciting fashion as well. Yeah. Very good win for Hull against Wigan, who um, a lot of people fancied to go all the way this year, but Hull outplayed them. Um, I think Wigan had been not playing particularly well in some matches, but, but just managing to get over the top of teams, but Hull um, turned the tables on them, really, yeah. and, and deserved the win. And then there was a, another thriller involving Castleford for the second successive um, cup round the game went into extra time with a, a try on the uh, on the hooter and Castleford won it in golden point drop with a golden point drop goal um, a lot more straightforward than the previous round against Hulkar when it took them 19 minutes of extra time um, Gareth O'Brien nailed the drop goal with his first attempt after three minutes um, I think the the difference between the sides was Paul McShane, who had an, another absolutely fantastic game for Castleford, um, created a couple of tries, very strong defensively, and his play in extra time was just outstanding. Kevin Brown set for a drop goal, and Paul McShane charged it down, ran on, picked the ball up, and that set up the field position for Caster's drop goal. Um, he, he's absolutely playing out of his skin at the moment, McShane. Um it will be very interesting to see what uh, Sean Wayne does, the England coach. If, if Paul McShane maintains this form, I think he'll have to be in the England side for the World Cup, which would be would be great for him. He's uh, he's had some career, McShane. Obviously, highly rated when he started at Leeds, never quite established himself. Was allowed to leave. Um, went to to Wakefield. Was thinking about going part time or packing in the game when Cass came in from him, and since he's linked up. With Daryl Powell at Cass, he's been one of the best players in the game and, and really is playing well at the moment. And um, his performance against Salford was the highlight of the weekend for me last weekend, really. And I still think he's got some improvement in him as well. So um, it's an exciting prospect. Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, he won the Man of Steel, obviously. And, and we've talked a few times on this programme about players who were projects for Daryl Powell as it were and, and Paul was definitely one of those wasn't he and he, he just seems to get better with age he's gone under Daryl's wing and each season he just seems to get stronger and stronger and cuter and as you say he's uh, almost single-handedly winning games at the moment for them isn't he he's in, he's in superb form and, and long may that continue um, you know as you say it was a strange decision by Leeds at that time to let him go and uh, was obviously very pleased when he turned up at Wakefield, but he seemed to have lost his way a little bit with respect to him there. Probably, you know, having left Leeds when he didn't really want to, obviously his hometown club and he'd come through the ranks there. Um, but uh, Daryl obviously got hold of him and saw something in him and uh, has taken his career really to the next level. And, and as we mentioned on here the other week, speculation obviously that Daryl may well take him when he moves to Warrington at the end of the year, but we'll have to wait and see about that. But 
certainly at the moment, uh, you know, you'd think an England shoe in as well. You know, how can you ignore a player playing so well in that key position? Um, they're the kind of players that we well, will is, need to unlock the very best is, defences, aren't they? There is very tough opposition, though, isn't there? To be to be fair, you've got James Roby as well, who's forty seven, I think now, and still playing as well as ever. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. obviously, Daryl Clark at Warrington um, and Hodgson over Josh Hodgson over in the NRL. So um, I'm not sure I'd call him a shoe in, but I think I, if I was picking the England team, I think. I think I'd have him in my seventeen, definitely. Yeah. Um, he's. It's going to be interesting to see what what Sean Wayne does there. He said he'll pick on form, and I've no reason to think that's not the case. So at the moment, yeah, Maka must be up there as as one of, if not the leading um, leading contenders. And it'd be great for him to if he could get an England call up in the World Cup, and um, it'd be good for Cass as well to have a. One of their players involved. Um, some other interesting performances over the weekend. I, I thought Zach Hardacre for um, for Wigan had an, an off day. I saw that he, I think he tweeted a message saying that he, he'd um, he'd been poor and apologising for that. I mean, he's been absolutely fantastic for Wigan all yeah. season. Um, so I think he's allowed he's allowed an off day. Once in a once in a while, I still think he's as, as good a player as, as there is at fullback in the competition at the moment, and maybe even in the world, um, playing really well. Um, and Chris Sate for Hull was another eye-catching performer. I, th I thought it was a, a quite a high standard over the um, over the two days. Really, all four games played as two double headers at Headingley, Warrington against Catalans was a, a bit of a disappointing game. Um, Catalans never really got into that one, but Huddersfield gave St Helens a run for um, for the money and and I was there on Saturday and I was saying, and that was good entertainment. It's just such a shame we couldn't have had a crowd in for that um, or for those matches. But hopefully we're still awaiting the venues for the Challenge Cup semi-final. Say venues, um, the idea is to stage it as a, a double header, but I just wonder whether they'll look at maybe not doing that, maybe splitting it and playing out two different venues so they can get more more fans in. Um, but there will be some supporters in for the semi-final and the final, and that's a, a really exciting prospect. And there's four, uh, two, sorry, good semi-finals lined up. Warrington against Cass, very tough to call. Cass beat Warrington quite convincingly, and the um, first round of Super League but since then Warrington are, are unbeaten Castle are in good form as well obviously there's a Daryl Powell factories going from Castleford to Warrington next season so that's that's quite an intriguing tie and the other one Hull against Saints well I suppose you'd fancy Saints you'd fancy Saints against anyone at the moment but the way Hull played against Wigan they're perfectly capable of winning that um and it's about time we had another all Yorkshire final, so uh, there's a possibility we could we could get a whole ass final, which uh, which would be excellent for uh, for this side of the Pennines. It's about time um, we had one of those. I, I think it was 2014, no, 2015. Leeds um, yeah. Leeds Hall KR I think was the last one. So um, 
So I think it's about time we had one of those again. Yeah, definitely. I know you've said right from the outset that you fancied Cass for the Cup uh, to send Daryl out on a high. And yep. uh, Hull are shaping up pretty much the same way, aren't they? Um, I think I'm right in saying I tipped them to beat Wigan last week, which I was quite pleased about. But I think really sort of... <laughs> yes, you did, yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think that, um, you know, again, a bit like Cass, it's probably their best chance of silverware this year. And while they maybe not have uh, the chance to top Wigan over the course of a season by, by getting to a grand final just yet, they were certainly capable of beating them in a one-off game. And that's obviously what happened. And, and again, uh, going forward to the semi-final, you look at them and you think, well, again, Hull maybe not in Saints' class over over a long league season yet, but certainly in a one-off game, uh, playing as they have done so far under the new coach, Brett, Brett Hodgson, who himself, I think, won the Challenge Cup, did he, with Warrington back in, back in, in his playing days. Uh, you, you'd fancy them maybe again in a, in a one-off game. And certainly, Cass, I don't think of anything to fear from Warrington. And, uh, you know, as you say, they'll be looking to lay down a marker there for themselves and for the future. And for fairly tight quarterfinals, weren't they? You know, it seems each time we say we don't like golden point, there's another golden point game around the corner. And ironically, probably in the one match that you would have thought maybe of the four quarters would be the one where it may be a one-sided win for Cass, but didn't turn out that way. And the other three games all, you know, within 10 points, 10-point games. So that was good to see as well in its own way that there were, there were no blowouts so far, keenly contested matches. And uh, I feel that the semi-finals, uh, you know, will be the same again. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk about those nearer the time. But uh, it is shaping up nicely, hopefully, for an all-Yorkshire affair. And uh, let's hope that that comes around uh, when the semis are played. And as you mentioned there when you were chatting, Peter, about uh, the return of crowds, obviously yesterday, May the 17th, was a bit of a D-Day for all sports uh, and their hopes for getting fans back into grounds in the near future. Um, Sorry, it was May the 10th yesterday, my apologies, but May the 17th coming up this Monday is when they're hoping to get the crowds back in, isn't it? And uh, there's a, a string of games being played that evening. Uh, to sort of recognise that and hopefully get fans back into grounds again. Yeah, that's right. There's only one Super League game this week, which is uh, Leeds against Wakefield on Friday, and then all the other games are um, are Monday, which is sensible move. Obviously, Sky wanted the wanted the game on on the Friday. Yeah. Um, but the other teams have taken advantage of the return of fans and are um, playing on Monday night. So that's Castleford, Hull, KR, Hull, Catalans, Lee, Wigan, St. Salford and Warrington, Huddersfield. Yeah. Um, Cass are allowed 3,600 fans in the ground capacity at Headingley when the fans come back or the first two matches when they come back will be 4,000. So far from full, but certainly will make, as I've, as I've said on here many times, it certainly will make a, a difference. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see what impact it does have on the game. But I've, I'm, the players I speak to say that they, they just can't wait to get fans back. They say that it'll give them extra motivation 
Um, I think the players deserve a lot of credit for what they've gone through over the past um, year or so. Some of them have taken pay cuts. Um, obviously, they've had to play at times two or three times in a week, and they've managed to maintain the standards in alien circumstances, really, because it is very different playing in an empty stadium. Um, so I hope people will go out and support them when, when the fans come back. Um, it'll be interesting to see what sort of attendances clubs get when um, when the restrictions are completely lifted, which is due to happen in June, um, whether there'll be a, a surge of people wanting to watch rugby because they've been starved of, of live action for so long or um, whether people have lost the habit. Um, let's hope it's the, it's the former. But yeah, I, I think everybody in the sport will be glad to see the backup um, behind closed doors matches. I think sport as a whole has handled it pretty well. The um, I've been to a lot of them at various grounds and they've all been very well organised. Um, clubs like Leeds and Saints in particular have staged double headers and and whole rounds of matches on their grounds and they've done a, a really good job. Um, and I think the whole game really should, should pat themselves on the back for, um, for managing to get through what's probably been the most difficult period in the sport's history, I'd say. But yeah, Monday, Monday will be fantastic with the fans back in the stadiums. It's, it is a spectator sport. And... Um, particularly at grounds like um, like the, the jungle, which everyone will accept is is falling down. But it is a, in terms of atmosphere, it, it's unlike anywhere else in the game. And um, I think it'll lift Cass and um, they're going pretty well as it is. But with fans back in the ground, might just, uh, might just put an added spring in the step and um, nudge them a little bit further towards winning something this year. Yeah, I would agree with that, Pete. I mean, as long as we've been doing this podcasting, this is about episode 40 now. We've talked about hopefully getting fans back into the ground sometime soon. And unfortunately, it didn't happen at all last season, as we know. And this season started as well behind closed doors. But finally, there is some light at the end of the tunnel and some fans will be allowed back in. And that's brilliant news both for the game as a spectacle and the game financially, of course, as well, that people are backing grounds and spending money and helping their club out and buying tickets and everything else that's associated with match day. And hopefully, you know, clubs will be rewarded, as you say. Rugby league and sport in general have done a brilliant job of staging any kind of sport, really, over the last 14 months or so, uh, in the most difficult of circumstances, on and off the field, really. And uh, I think probably the lack of fans in the ground. At first, it was a bit of a novelty, and then there was the noise with the that they used to play through the TV, didn't they? Of you know, sort of crowd noise, and that helped a bit. But I think in the end, you know, people really did want crowds back, and hopefully, that will now happen from Monday, and there won't be any further setbacks in terms of COVID, and we can go on from there to hopefully seeing grounds full or the majority of them full again in the near future and uh, people enjoying the game once more. As you say, it will be interesting to see whether clubs do 
suffer a bit of an adverse reaction with people getting out of the habit of going to games. I, I think at first, I think there'll be a bit of a boom because I think people will be desperate to see any kind of live action, won't they? And, and get back and watch any game, maybe even two games, watch a Super League game and then a Championship or League One game on the Sunday for a few weeks just to get back into it and to show their support for the game in general because I think rugby league people in particular are like that, aren't they? They, they put their pan, hands in their pockets to help their own club, but perhaps a neighbouring club or a rival club as well. And uh, I think at first, you know, I think hopefully there'll be a positive bounce in the longer term. Obviously, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, perhaps people may pick and choose the games a bit. Obviously, it's easy for me to say, but people have had difficult circumstances over the last year or so in terms of jobs and employment and health and everything and may not feel that they can give the same sort of support that they once could. But I think that, you know, most people will get back. They've probably budgeted and, and thought, well, you know, once we can get back in the game, you know, we'll we'll have some money to spend. Maybe not everybody's bought a season ticket for this year for that reason, not knowing exactly when crowds would be allowed back and what sort of numbers and the shape of how games would look and so on. But let's hope that uh, once once people get back in and, and, and we start seeing crowds on the TV again as well, of course, I think that'll be a, a good advert for the game as well to encourage people to get back there. Yeah, just just um, another couple of things to talk about this week, one of, one of which is um, Rob Louie, who announced in the Evening Post yes. today that, um, that he's leaving Leeds Rhinos at the end of this season. Going back to Australia, he plans to play in the Queensland Cup, which is the sort of second team competition or second tier, rather, competition um, up in the north of Australia. Um, he's been at Headingley. This is his third season, joined midway through 2019, helped keep them in Super League and then was a cup winner last year. And I think he's, without probably playing at his absolute best and without being hugely spectacular, I think he's done a good job for Leeds. He's obviously struggled a little bit with injuries. He's still out with a quad problem he suffered in pre-season, but he certainly helped steady the ship at a crucial time um, a couple of years ago. And I think he's he's been a good addition. A lot of fans have, have been saying that, well, they don't think he's done enough, but you've got to be realistic. He, he, came in in difficult circumstances um, he's had various halfback partners um, but playing alongside Luke Gale when the two of them have been together it's been a, an effective partnership for um, Leeds the, the interesting thing now will be to see what they do about a standoff for next season obviously there, there are several options there's Kyle Eastmond who's come in he can obviously Play there. I think it's fair to say he's still adjusting back to rugby league after 10 years in rugby union. There's Callum McClellan, who's in the final year of his contract. The young player, been injured like Louis since pre-season, hasn't played yet this year. He's going to want to get fit and get some game time as soon as he can to, to prove that he's worth an, a new contract. Um, also, of course, Leeds might look at the left. The, um, at the market, I would imagine that they've known for a while that Rob 
wasn't going to stay. So you'd think that um, the wheels will be in motion for that. So it will be fascinating to see whether they think that there's somebody out there that can come in and, and do a job for them and improve the team. There are players out there, but whether they're available and whether they're available at the cost that um, that Leeds can afford remains to be seen. Let's see Sean Johnson, um, Kiwi halfback, has part, he's out of contract at Cronulla at the end of this season and hasn't re-signed yet. And obviously fans really are saying, well, he'd, he'd be ideal. Yes, of course he would. But it would, would be a massive investment for um, for Leeds to bring somebody like Sean Johnson in. You'd imagine he'd stay in the NRL. But there are um, there are other players who will be linked with Leeds. And um, it, as I say, it, it's a big decision for them, really. I think if they can find somebody to bring in, then, then they'll do that. They've obviously got um, a quota spot now because Rob Louis is leaving and that gives them a little bit of, of flexibility. So it'll be a case of, um, of watch this space, but it's such a key position. It's something that they have to get right. Whether they'll wait and see how Callum McClellan plays when he gets back, how Kyle Eastmond handles the adjustment, I don't know, but um, quality players don't stay on the market for very long. So I think, Things are already being put in place for next season, not just at Leeds, but at uh, other clubs. It's going to be an exciting and interesting few months, I think, especially with several other Leeds players out of contract as well. Yes, I was just thinking as you were speaking then, Peter, obviously with COVID and everything, there's been a bit of a, obviously no movement really between Australia and New Zealand and, and Great Britain in terms of player movement really, has it over the last 12 months or so? So you'd imagine that, some players perhaps are up for a new challenge and uh, others maybe looking now feel feel happier about coming over here as the COVID situation seems to be finally easing. Uh, in my opinion, I thought Rob Louis has done a good job for Leeds in the circumstances. As you say, he came in at a difficult time when it looked like Leeds might get relegated and they had to shuffle their pack quickly. And, and he's won a challenge cup with them as well and as you say, he's had a bit of bad luck with injury in that period, but I don't think he's ever particularly let them down when he's played for them. And, uh, you know, he's been quite honest really now and said, you know, it's time for me to go, you know, I've done my bit and let somebody else come through. I noticed he mentioned Callum McClellan, didn't he? He didn't want to be blocking the progress hopes of a player like that. And you'd imagine as well that uh, Gary will have had his feelers out down under Gary Hetherington, the Leeds chief executive, see if there'd be anyone interested in coming over and partnering Luke Gale. Uh, so t- interesting times ahead uh, for Leeds. And, for, and, and as you say, for all clubs, there wasn't much really movement at all last season, was there? Everybody had to sit tight really with the financial situation following COVID and a lot of teams just made minor adjustments and didn't really sign that many players, although there were players that were already perhaps lined up before COVID really bit, so the, you know, the deal still went through. But uh, next year, as finance starts to come back into the game again, you'd imagine there'd be a bit more movement around. So it'll be interesting to see what Leeds do um, to solve that particular conundrum. 
Just going on from there for one moment, Peter, we talked last week about Tony Club, who was uh, in front of the RFL disciplinary at the time we were recording the podcast. And uh, we'd said we'd come back and just have a word this week once we knew the verdict on him. And he, he was handed an eight-game ban by the RFL disciplinary uh, for his outburst against Andre Saviello. Uh, Notice Brett Hodgson, the whole FC coach, felt that it was a fairly lenient punishment. Um, but I think as we've discussed on here a couple of times, it's difficult really uh, in situations like that to prove exactly who said what to whom. And the RFL probably had to go, or the independent panel, on the evidence that was presented to them and pun punished him accordingly from that. And Tony Club's come out and said that, although he did use some offensive words and language it wasn't meant in the context that other people took it to be in and uh, he wasn't di directly referring to Saviello's Polynesian race when he insulted him but maybe again a lesson for players in future I know things do get said in the heat of the moment but uh, it's easy to say keep your mouth shut but uh, certainly people will be more careful about what they say in future I think after a ban of that scale. It's still a substantial ban, no matter what you say, is it? Isn't it? It's a third of the season, almost eight games, isn't it? And, uh, you know, really, I think probably just, you know, on the reading of the judgment anyway, I think, you know, probably couldn't have, have given him any more in the circumstances, in my opinion. Uh, but hopefully well, a warning to other players. I, I hope it is a warning to other players. I... I, I don't think it's lenient. As you've said, eight matches is a is a hefty ban. The problem with that is it was the minimum they could have given him for a grade F charge, which has obviously upset some people. It, it's a very it's a tough it's a tough issue, isn't it? They the panel said that they accepted they believe that um Club had said what he was alleged to have said but didn't think he was a racist yeah. um there was no need to use language that referred to to Sevilio's um heritage was there or or his um his background or anything like that it's just unnecessary so I'd, you know things do happen in the heat of battle but i think it's an absolute no 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 to to make um any comment on a player's race or um or anything like that so I, I certainly hope that um we don't get any recurrences of this um it's it is a difficult a difficult issue as i said i don't think they've been lenient with him but um i i think they could maybe have sent out a message by um adding a couple of games on to um onto the minimum sentence but let's just hope that that the message gets across that this sort of language isn't acceptable to um to anybody the, the rugby league's putting a lot of, of effort into um the tackling campaign against forms of discrimination and um, we just we just don't want to see any sort of racism homophobia whatever involved in um involved in rugby league it needs stamping out and Let's hope this incident goes some way towards doing that. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, I think that's a nice summation there that 
there's, there's no real there's no need for it and there's no room for it in the game I think and uh, you know if it serves as a warning both to club and to other players in the future that if you do speak in such terms you are going to be punished for it uh, nobody likes to be hit in the pocket I think he was fined £500 as well wasn't he so as well as being out of the team for eight games he's out, out of pocket as well no doubt through that and through the fine and players of all clubs be a bit more circumspect in what they say in future to each other uh, of course you know as we say people do lose their temper and say things they regret in the heat of the moment and wish they could take them back and uh, you know let's just leave it there really you know the, the punishment's been handed out and it's up to the, all players now to to respond accordingly really and just going back to the challenge cup for a couple of minutes peter it was the women's challenge cup quarterfinals this weekend as well and some good results for yorkshire sides in that um in fact we got three through to the semi-finals york city knights beat wigan castleford beat warrington Leeds thrashed Bradford and then Saints knocked out Featherstone. So we should definitely, even with my bad maths, get one team or a couple of teams through there. And, uh, you know, some good results for the game there for the women. Uh, see a few former Castleford players, they've moved up to York and, and they were instrumental in the York team winning. And also, I believe the Final itself is going to be screened live on the TV as part of a triple header with the two men's semi-finals in early June, which is another good uh, boost for the women's game. Yeah, it's it's going to be the first time women's rugby league cup finals been shown live on um, on the BBC. I think that's fantastic for the women's game. I'm a big supporter of women's rugby league. Um, I think it's a real growth area for the sport and I'm delighted to see that broadcasters are taking an interest. We've now got a match streamed from Super League or the Challenge Cup every week and brief highlights on Sky um, a couple of days afterwards. Um, it was all happening at Castleford last week in terms of the women's game. They lost five players from their squad who all went to York. They followed their former coach, Lindsay Anfield, who was in charge of them for the first couple of seasons in Super League, then went to York as director of women's rugby. She's got Adam Cuthbertson, the former Leeds women's coach who now plays for York. He's helping out there as well. They've got quite a strong setup now. And I think York won one game in Women's Super League last year. So they've they've been struggling, but the five players they signed from Qatar All England Internationals. It also brought a couple of players in from Bradford. And then in, in these players' first game, they beat Wigan, which is quite an astounding result. Yeah. And um, wouldn't you know it, they've drawn Cass <laughs> in the semi-final. So that'll be, um, that'll be a bit of a grudge match, I should, um, I I should so. imagine. Um, will be fascinating to see how that turns out. The other semi-final leads against Saints, probably... At the moment, the two best teams in the women's game. Tough to, to say which way that will go. They, they played each other um, in a number of close games last season. I think the problem those two teams have, have had is that they've had some 
pretty one-sided games so far this this year and that one won't be it'll be a really tough one and it'll be whichever team can adjust the best to it but Leeds are certainly in good form they're scoring a lot of points and not conceding very many um, they are the holders and they want to retain the Challenge Cup I would think whoever wins the Saints Leeds semi-final will be um, will be favourites but um, you can write Cass off. Good result for them to beat Warrington, having lost five England internationals and obviously had a bit of a, a difficult build-up to the game. It will clearly, though, losing some of their best players. And Kelsey Gentles, um, an England player, I'm a big, um, a big fan of Kelsey Gentles. I think she's a she's a very good player. Uh, Rihanna Marshall, second rower quality. Um, They've lost some some good players, so it'll be tough for Castleford. On the positive, it might even the competition up a little bit. The problem with the women's Super League is that there are four-ish good teams and um, they're quite a level above the others. So when you get one of the, the top teams playing one of the bottom teams, you tend to get a blowout. Um, when the bottom teams play each other, they're evenly contested. When the top teams play each other, they are, but... There are too many blowout scores uh, and it would be a good thing if some of the talent could be spread out across the competition, which um, this move to York has done. Um, but yeah, if you get a chance to watch a, a women's game either on TV or, or live, get along to it. Um, I think you'd be impressed by the standard. Yeah, thank you for that, Peter. and Thank you for rescuing me with the semi-final draw which I suddenly realised as I was talking about it I hadn't written down anywhere I knew the quarter-final results but not who they were playing next (laughs) that was handy and as you say interesting to see how that York club develops now Um, you mentioned when you were talking there that it's a possible growth uh, point for the the sport the women's rugby league and somebody in York obviously thinks that if they've uh, managed to attract that calibre of coach uh, with Adam Cuthbertson, sorry, and Lindsay Anfield, and also the players that they've brought in from Cass. And as you say, that's really the only way the game will get stronger is by spreading the word, isn't it? Spreading um, the talent a bit more widely so that games become more tightly contested and then more people hopefully are attracted to either playing or watching the game and it, and it starts to grow from there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that York team do in the coming few years. And again, the men's team is very ambitious at York there, aren't they? And they've just moved into a new stadium. So um, York's always been a hotbed for rugby league, hasn't it? So it'll be interesting to see how that club progresses and we'll be keeping an eye on them uh, as the season goes on. So I think if we... Call it time there, Peter, for this week. Thank you for your comments. Just my usual weekly reminder. You can get the very latest Rugby League news from Peter's Twitter handle at PetersmithYEP. My own at Richard Byron YEP and at YEP Sports Desk and at YP Sport. You can also get the very latest news from YorkshireEveningPost.co.uk. A reminder that this podcast is available through the website and also on on Anchor, Apple, Spotify and other listening platforms. Thanks again for listening and hopefully we'll be back soon.